0: This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning. Am I all technologically okay? Okay, good. Oh, okay, thank you. Is that any better? Okay, good. Please do wave
1: if you need me to speak more strongly. It's good to be here uh, with you
0: all here in the Zendo during this practice period. An honor to speak with you at this time, the practitioners here, as well as the residents in attendance, as well as I'm looking at the white dot in front of me, which I think communicates to the uh, folks
1: uh, who are tuning in electronically. I'd like to speak about two things today. One is
0: the location of our practice, where our practice finds its home,
1: where it is located, where it operates, where it comes forth. And secondly, about measurement. More
0: specifically, non-measurement. More specifically, non-measurement of the progress
1: of our practice. Those two things about
0: a little more than 50 years ago in April of 1970 uh, Suzuki Roshi
1: uh, gave a Dharma talk. And among the things that he said in that talk, he said the following. What is important is not the teaching, but the character and effort of the student. This is the most important point for Zen students. Any teaching can be a good teaching for you. He said that, and then a little bit later in the talk, he also said, and I'm mentioning the second thing because it's connected to the first one.
0: He said also, as much as possible, listen
1: to your inner voice, rejecting useless things. Devote yourself to and listen to your inner voice. Then you will see someone who is great in the true sense. Without this kind of spirit, and he was referring to the spirit of uh,
0: character and effort, and to the spirit of listening to your inner voice, without this kind of spirit,
1: it is almost impossible to study our way. So um, the very first thing
0: he says that I'm quoting is, what is important is not the teaching. The teacher, in this case, Suzuki Roshi, was teaching
1: that what is important is not the teaching. There's some irony. <laughs> There's some irony in this,
0: and also we know that uh, 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 you know Suzuki Roshi came to the United States in 1969 and died in December of
1: 1971. And what did he do
0: during those 12 years? Well, he he did a lot of teaching. He did a lot of teaching. Of course, not just teaching, you know, teaching like this. Teaching by uh, what he
1: did and how he was. And teaching this way with the mouth.
0: I think when he said what is important is not the teaching he was mostly
1: referring to that kind of teaching so you know no small
0: degree of irony in this statement which makes us wonder well what did he mean if he spent his life devoted his life to teaching for him to say at this particular time he said many other things at other times. But in this particular talk in April of 1970, he said, what is important is not the teaching. Something else is
1: important. The most important thing. I wanted to add a word to
0: Suzuki Roshi's words, uh, the word attitude. So what is important is not the teaching, but the character and effort. And I would say the attitude of the student. And by student, we mean practitioner. All of us here, all of you watching on Zoom, Anyone who takes up the way, whether you've been uh, uh, practicing Zen for 50 years or whether this is the first Dharma talk you've ever heard, those are the students he's
1: referring to, us, we, practitioners. So I want to, um, oops, I
0: want to uh, take this seriously, take what he's saying uh, seriously, which he recommended. He recommended it so strongly that he took his own advice as well. In another uh, talk he gave, some other talk, not this talk. I don't remember when it occurred. But at the end of the talk, he said,
1: oh, this was, a, this was a pretty good Dharma talk. I should listen to this Dharma talk. Illustrating
0: the spirit that he is talking about, the spirit of
1: effort and character and attitude. So, um, when I uh, read this
0: in the book Not Always So, the compilation of Suzuki Roshi's Dharma Talks, Not Always So, that Ed Brown edited, uh, you know, my my first response was, What is important is not the teaching? What, you know, what, what was that? I thought the teaching was that's what we think is that the teaching is really the important thing, right. That's why you want to hear my teaching today and Michael's teaching and Linda's teaching and Fu's teaching. And others as well, we want to hear the teaching because the teaching is really the important thing. We think there's something called Zen. And then. There are Zen is comprised of certain knowledge that is possessed by teachers, and then they teach you about Zen, and then you learn about Zen, and then you, you know, have an awakening, you, you have an awakening, or something, some big thing happens, and then after that, things are much better. That's what we usually think. We think the teaching is oops, the teaching is here and we're down here making an effort. Kind of getting a little funny echo on the machine here. Is, is it still okay back there? I don't mind getting an echo as long as I'm hearable. Okay. So we think the teaching is here and that that our effort is, you know, to go toward the teaching. And then we make an effort to get a hold of this teaching like that. But what Suzuki Roshi is saying is like this, whoop, the other way. What is important is not the teaching, but the character and attitude and effort of the student, a kind of radical reversal of our usual understanding. This is like, um, you know, uh, in common parlance, this is like
1: our usual way is we usually
0: think what's important is the content, and then the process is subsumed under the content. The process is how you get the content. The content is really the good stuff, and the process is how you get there. He's saying, no, no, the process is actually the important part. That's why I think of this uh, teaching of Suzuki Roshi about how what is important is not the teaching, but the character and attitude and effort of the student. Uh, That's why I think of it as long haul practice. This practice is good for the long haul. More or less from now, you know, <laughs> until forever, otherwise known as the moment of our demise, personally, right? That's forever, but as far as we know. Because The sense in which he was talking about teaching, the teaching that is not important or not as important, uh, what's not important, was a teaching that you can get a hold of. That you could, you know, there's before I knew, then I knew, then in the past I knew, you know, past, present, and future. There's then I got it, and now I have it. He's emphasizing something else, Uh, 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 and it needs to be said. In some sense, yes, that's true, in some sense. (laughs) In some sense, there is a teaching, and it is important. And we do make an effort to uh, understand it and uh ingest it and live it yes of course but his emphasis is on ongoing practice long haul ongoing practice is ongoing effort and uh, cultivation of our attitude and development of our character. It's ongoing and long haul because it's not as though you can say, oh, well, that's done now. Oh, that's done. What's next? It's never done. It always needs to be. uh, It needs New circumstances, for one thing, and also it always needs to be revived. It's only uh, uh, alive when, when when we do it, when we practice it. So it's continuous, continuing. Uh, the talks that not always, so uh, Suzuki Roshi didn't n- give titles to his talks, but the title that um, Ed Brown gave to this talk, Ed, I think, was the person who gave those titles, was Sincere Practice. And in the course of this talk of Suzuki Roshi, she talks about various aspects of sincere practice but I think this is a key part of sincere practice. This effort and character and attitude So uh, that's the first part. Oh, not quite. So uh, um, what is important is not the teaching, but the character or effort of the student. This is the most important point for Zen students. and I realized uh, many of you, most of you, almost everyone, I'm sure, if not everyone, is familiar with Suzuki Roshi's uh, talks, with either having listened to them or read them. And as you know, one of his expressions was, "This is the most important point." And he, say, <laughs> he says it about this, and he says it about this, and he says it about this, and he says it about this. And he says it about this. He says that about lots of different things. He'll say something, then he'll say, this is the most important point, which from the perspective of measurement, doesn't make any sense. If this is the most important point, then this also can't be the most important point. This has got to be either be, well, it's got to be less important because this is the most important. That's how we measure things. But our practice is not uh, is not constrained by measurement. Well, that's not exactly accurate. We live in the world of measurement, of course. We have to, we have to, uh, you know my voice has to be a certain measurement of decibel level in order for you to hear me. And I know that. And that's important to know and to live according to those measurements. But it's not complete. The world of measurement, the trap, the, the, uh, the, the prison of measurement is when we think that's the entire world. We course in the world of measurement. That's fine. We have to. There isn't any other world (laughs) for us to course in. But how it is to course rather than be imprisoned by is to understand the world beyond measurement. So I know in uh, practice period, you're studying the Sandokai. That's that's what the teaching of the Sandokai is. The teaching of the Sandokai, the merging of the world of measurement and the world of non-measurement. How they are one world. So he could say, this is the most important point. And he did quite freely, (laughs) many times. Because this is the most important point, and this is the most important point, and this is the most important point. No contradiction. So a little bit later, in this very same Dharma talk, as I said at the beginning, he uh, says, as much as possible, listen to your inner voice. As much as possible, listen to your inner voice. Rejecting useless things. He doesn't specify what what things are useless. But I think we know. I think we know what the useless things are. Rejecting useless things. Devote yourself to and listen to your inner voice. Then you will meet someone who is great. Then you will see someone who is great in the true sense. So, um, you know, listening to your inner voice, it's kind of a cliche, you know? Kind of a cliche, don't you think? I was, uh, it reminded me, uh, 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 Quite a while ago, a few years ago, I was having a a conversation with someone, a one-to-one conversation, a very uh, deep conversation. uh, And the person was telling me about their life and their suffering, as we are wont to do. good thing to talk about. And uh, I offered some I offered some comment, I don't remember what my comment was. And the person said, Well, thanks, you know, what you said, could have been, you know, like on a long airplane flight when you're chatting with your neighbor, you know, my your neighbor could have said the same thing. Which was um, you know, a very elegant put down of, <laughs> of what I was saying, you know. She was telling me about this very deep stuff, and I made this comment, and she was basically saying, you know, pretty, pretty superficial, you know, anybody could say that, not very profound. So I've enjoyed that. I think of that, oh, somebody on an airplane could tell you the same thing if you're on a long flight. So, but I don't think, you know, when Suzuki Roshi said this, actually, in 1970, it wasn't a cliche. And, of course, cliches become cliches because they sometimes, you know, contain something very important, profound for us. He was saying it, oh, so he grabbed this from the culture, you know, it was flowing through the mainstream, or not really mainstream culture, but flowing through the San Francisco Bay Area culture, you know, listen to your inner voice, you know, follow your inner promptings, etc. And he grabbed it out of the, out of the uh, ethos and turned it turned it to indicate the location of our practice. Listen to your inner voice means this is where the practice is. I don't mean, for me, this is where the practice is. I mean, you all need to do the same thing. This is where the practice is, in there, in here, not out there. So this is an echo of character and effort and attitude. As character and effort and attitude are here, in here, they're, uh, they're what is important, the most important, rather than teaching that is out there, teaching as out there. So our practice is very, very very, very subjective. There's just one subject I, me, you, uh, and the other flavor, the other flavor of what Suzuki Roshi is saying, listen to you as much as possible, listen to your inner voice is, how shall I say it? Uh, um, In the uh, traditional uh, teaching, one of the um, traditional expressions of the teaching, according to uh, uh, Edward Conze, who was a uh, brilliant uh, scholar uh, and teacher, no longer alive. Uh, but I remember reading one of his books, probably about 45 or 50 years ago. And it, it impressed me. And according to Dr. Konze, there are five cardinal virtues in Buddhist practice. And the first of those is faith, confidence. In Sanskrit, it's Shraddha. See if I can do the others. Confident, faith, confidence, vigor, energy, enthusiasm, mindfulness, samadhi, concentration, and prajna, wisdom, are the five spiritual faculties, the five cardinal virtues, the most important thing, again. <laughs> so, uh, and usually, this first one, faith, confidence, shraddha, means, uh, you know, believe in the teaching, believe, believe, believe in Buddhism, so to speak. I always wondered about that one. I, it's, it's like uh, famously, uh, Shakyamuni Buddha said at the end of his life, don't believe in Buddhism. Rather, he he said it somewhat different than this expression of Suzuki Roshis, but he said rather, just or at least in the tradition as we have it, Shakyamuni Buddha said, rather uh, examine things in your own mind, in your own heart, and if they're true and good, then act in that vein. And if they're not, then don't. Actually, that echoes, listen to your inner voice. There's an echo there from Shakyamuni Buddha's uh, apocryphal last words. So the traditional meaning, I believe, is to have faith in the teaching but again Suzuki Roshi by saying listen to your inner voice he's talking about faith in you faith in each of us this is very helpful this is very useful this is encouraging especially if <laughs> especially if how should i say especially if we don't have, we don't have that faith, especially if we are self-doubt, self-critical, find ourselves not good enough, not enough, not, not good, did it wrong again. Critical or highly critical or extremely highly critical. Some of you may not <laughs> may not have this problem. good. <laughs> but in case you do, Suzuki Roshi is saying, listen to your inner voice. have confidence in yourself. have faith. Something he didn't say, but I think is uh, an implication is, of course. Um, If I listen to my inner voices, if you listen to your inner voices, well, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on there, you know? Some of it not so savory, not so good. So I think listen to your inner voice also implies, or or I would add, listen to your inner voice called body chitta uh, body chitta is uh, 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 body is uh, awakening same uh, root as Buddha it means to wake up Chitta means thought. I'm not sure, but it may also have some implication of like a direction, a leaning. Like a tropism, you know, like plants are heliotropic. They lean toward the sun. When the sun's over there, they go that way. When the sun goes over there, they go that way. So I think of our of of bodhicitta and our inner voice and our inner inclination as inclined toward wisdom inclined toward uh, prajna prajna tropic again to be realistic that's one inclination. There are other ones that go in different in different directions. When Suzuki Roshi says, listen to your inner voice, he means, listen to that prajnatropic inner voice, that innate wisdom-seeking, way-seeking mind. Uh, some weeks ago, uh, Jiryu here gave a talk, and at one point in his talk, he was kind of joking a little bit about how little instruction there is in practicing Zen. And of course, there's a great deal of instruction, there's a great deal of instruction, there's a great deal of teaching, there's all of that. but. There's an emphasis on <laughs> Prajnatropism. There's an emphasis on eliciting, eliciting and encouraging our wisdom, our your wisdom. your each of your wisdom, each of your Prajna that uh, is there, innate very optimistic uh, picture of human beings, innate ability to turn toward the truth. And our practice and our teaching, yes, it's very specific and it has this part and that part and you know five cardinal virtues, etc 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 etc. but also fundamentally, it's all different ways of bringing forth bodhicitta of arousing our way seeking mind and encouraging our way seeking mind. Then you will see someone who is great. It's Such a curious thing, why will you see someone? (laughs) Why will you see someone who is great at that point? Because you're wearing bodhicitta glasses. If you're wearing bodhicitta glasses, then, then then teaching is great teaching. Any teaching is a good teaching for you. With bodhicitta glasses on, with way-seeking mind uh, energized, brought forth. So, excuse me. So, I also wanted to uh, speak about, uh, as I said, measurement, which I think is connected to this. And mostly, I I just had two stories uh, about measurement. The first one. Uh, be apocryphal. I'm not sure if it actually happened. Uh, but it had to do with um, a man who's no longer alive, a person, whose name was Kobun Chino. And he was a Japanese Zen priest, and he uh, assisted, was an assistant to Suzuki Roshi, um, not sure the exact dates, but in the late '60s and well, not in the early '70s, but in the late '60s, maybe into 1970 or so. Anyway, uh, the story goes that I just heard this in the last year or two. The story goes that oh so he was a kudo master,
1: uh, archery, Zen archery master. And
0: There's a retreat center near Big Sur called Esalen, some of you know of it, and the folks at Esalen uh, asked him to do a Kyudo demonstration, Zen archery demonstration, and Esalen is, I haven't been there, but I have pictured it many times it's right on the coast, some of you probably have been there right, right, right on the coast, like including the rocks that are, you know, just a little bit further is the Pacific Ocean. And very dramatic and beautiful in a Northern California style, Northern coastal California beautifulness. So he went down there and, um, you know, was gonna do this demonstration and he set up the target You know, on on this cliff, with the Pacific behind him, behind it, and then he um, stepped back, uh, and then drew his bow, and then aimed it up, and let go, and predictably the arrow flew. The arrow had absolutely no relationship with the target, the so-called target. The arrow flew into the air over the edge of the cliff and landed in the Pacific Ocean.
1: And his comment was, can't miss. So.
0: Again, in the Sandokai, we say, uh, "How how does it go? Uh, Phenomena exist like box and lid fit;
1: principle accords like arrow points meeting." So
0: this is a you know when you mat when you visualize you know arrow points meeting is so
1: extraordinary you know. Imagine shooting two arrows and they meet like that.
0: So this is another another version of arrow points meeting. You know, we can talk about arrow points meeting, but also arrow points, arrow points meet the Pacific Ocean. Arrow points, that's also how principle accords, that's also the absolute, as vast
1: as the ocean, as unlimited. That's a can't miss non measurement is not measuring.
0: Well, how close did I get to the bullseye? That's what we're that's our usual target is the bullseye of the target. But this is a different target.
1: The Pacific Ocean is a different target than a bullseye. The
0: universe is a different target than than some restricted version
1: of who you are. That's one story.
0: The other story is uh, also about measurement. is not apocryphal. I know that because it's happened to me. And it involved another person who had been sent um, to help Suzuki Roshi, a uh, uh, Japanese Zen teacher named Katagiri, Dainin, Katagiri. Dainin means great patience. And um, I had a one-to-one interview with him at one time. I think it, it, was before, it was before 1969 because it was back at Sokoji before Zen Center. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> some of you do. Before Zen Center moved to 300 Page Street, we were, we were on Bush Street. That was where Suzuki Roshi first was when he came to the United States on Bush Street in San Francisco at Sokoji Temple that used to show samurai movies on the weekend to as a fundraiser kind of a thing. So I had Dokusan with Katagiri Roshi, uh, at that time Katagiri Sensei, behind the movie screen somewhere. I don't, it was room, it was dark, I don't remember so well. However, I do remember, you know, fifty plus years later, again because it was very meaningful to me. He uh, so we sat down, and I was very nervous because here was the Zen teacher. As I, I, I'm mentioning that, because you maybe when you meet with a teacher, you feel a little nervous. Might may, might happen. I was very nervous, I didn't know what to say. What do I say? I don't have any questions. I don't know enough to have any questions even. So we sat there for a few moments and then he asked me a question, which was helpful. He said, how is your Zazen?
1: And I said, pretty terrible. And he said, oh, Pretty terrible is pretty good. That's the story. Um, I found it very encouraging that he would say that. So, one
0: interpretation of pretty terrible is pretty good is a measurement interpretation. Your measurement is pretty terrible. My measurement is pretty good. That's pretty good. I'd rather have his measurement than than mine. Mine was not was painful to me. But in another way it's like shooting an arrow into the Pacific Ocean. In another way, I don't know if he meant this, or I don't know if he meant this consciously, but also pretty terrible is pretty good can also mean throw away pretty terrible. Throw away pretty terrible, throw away pretty good. Throw it out the window. Just practice now. Just practice with what you've got now. Whatever it is that you've got or don't got. Which is is a way of saying ongoing effort and develop character and cultivate attitude and listen and arouse and awaken to ways-seeking mind. The mind that seeks the way is already awakened. That is awakened mind. Never mind measuring.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center.